Hey guys, I'm Valerie. And I'm Jasmine, and this is Crafts, Drafts, and Crimes. Happy Halloween! Woo! Spooky season. Okay. Today, we are going to jump right in because, yeah, this is not the time for our bullshit. We have something very exciting for you today that I did not know I was going to be so excited about. Yes, we're all seriousness today. Well, I wouldn't say all that, <laughs> but we're all business. <laughs> that, there we go. <laughs> there we go. So our sources for today are the Baltimore Sun, Wikipedia, True Crime Daily, FBR Archives, CNN. Did I say FBR? You did. I'm already. A- I'm already fibbing. Um, FBI Archives. Let's try that again. I was like preparing to say archives. And say it right, because the word is spelled so weird that I, like, completely... Anyways, um, CNN, King 5, New York Times, Fox News, Washington Post, CBS News, LA Times, USA Today, Tucson Citizen, Lifeboat Research, and KLTV. So it it was a bit of a hefty hefty news article reading uh, week for me. (laughs) I think that's what most sources you cited. It's a lot, yeah, and they're all, like... Well, not all because Wikipedia, but there are like a lot of news sources. So um, today we are talking about the DC sniper. Yeah. So Jasmine and I were just talking about this and we were saying kind of how our exposure to this case is was not huge. For me now, because I did the research, I feel very informed. And Jasmine, I'm super excited to hear your reaction to this because it's kind of um, a lot more intense than I thought of it to be right the only kind of exposure like i was telling you was the one episode i heard from the pot from different podcasts and other than that like i had heard of the dc cypher but i never actually knew anything like the specifics about it so this is gonna be awesome i'm excited to learn more about it and um yeah i'm ready yes i'm also super excited because we have a couple friends which you'll see we also have um a couple of really exciting guests on this episode um just a little spoiler but um (laughs) we you know have a lot of people who this was really close to home for in our lives so it's pretty exciting to be able to see you know in detail this event that impacted their lives even though it didn't impact yours or mine definitely Without being too morbid. Anyways, let's jump in. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mildred Muhammad was one of many women who endured an abusive relationship. Her husband, John, came back from his army deployment for the Persian Gulf War, a completely changed man. So, their once good relationship turned sour, and Mildred was not willing to tolerate his physical and emotional abuse, especially with their three children around. Which, good for her. Being like, nope, fuck this, not doing it. So, they had been married for 11 years at this point in time. After they filed for divorce, John moved out and Mildred filed a restraining order. This did not infringe on John's rights to visit his children, though. And in March of 2000, he took the kids away for the weekend. But he didn't return for 18 months. So, like, can I have an 18-month weekend? Is that, like, a thing? Right. That's crazy as hell. That's a very long time. So (laughs) here's the thing. He forged documents for the four of them. And so he technically kidnapped his children. He moved them all the way from Washington State to Antigua. What the fuck? Antigua, for anybody who doesn't know, is an island in the Caribbean. Supposed to be beautiful. 
not anywhere near Washington State. Washington State is our, um, we've talked about this before, is the uh, northwesternmost state in the U.S. So it's literally like as far away from this area as you can be while being in the U.S. Um, and because of these false documents, Mildred could not find or talk to the kids for 18 months. She literally could not locate them. So that is they, so scary. Not being able to communicate. Horrifying. With Can you imagine, especially after getting out of an abusive relationship that you were in where you had to file a restraining order and now he kidnapped your kids? Exactly. I would have been terrified the entire 18 months. I cannot imagine what she went through. Right. And the only kind of communication she had was with John because he would occasionally call in threats to her. She did not communicate with her kids at all. Fuck that guy. Yep. So he, oh, you're going to think that very much throughout this entire thing. <laughs> we do not like John. For anybody who doesn't already know anybody's name in this case, I keep moving also. I'm sorry if I feel like I'm making a lot of noise. Like I'm talking with my hands, even though nobody can see me. Um, <laughs> John told their kids, John, who was, he had John Jr., who was 10, Selena, who was eight, and Taliba, who was seven. Taliba? Taliba? I'm going to go Taliba. Um, they told them that or he told them excuse me that Mildred would be joining them as soon as she could um so they just thought that their mom was going to be coming eventually to join them in Antigua so it wouldn't be long before they accepted another person into their family though which they kind of considered a brother of sorts named Lee Boyd Malvo so Lee was born in 1985 which puts him at the age of 15 when they met um, and he was born in Jamaica. He was an excellent student. He was very intelligent and a really good runner. His parents had divorced when he was five years old, and he moved around with his dad for a few years. So in 1999, when he was 14, he moved to Antigua to be with his mother, Una. So it was there that the two met and befriended John and his kids. So 2000, we're in Antigua. Everybody's here, except for Mildred, who just has no idea where on earth literally where on earth her kids are. So John was making a living in Antigua forging documents. Several people there were desperate to move to the U.S. and he was able to make this possible. And that included Una, Lee's mom. So she couldn't afford the documents. So what she did is she offered up her son, Lee, as collateral. Thoughts uh. on that? <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so she moved to Florida with promises of paying back John and seeing Lee soon. But after she left, Lee became kind of a part of John's plan. So Lee convert, or excuse me, John converted Lee to Islamic faith and he isolated Lee from his friends and from Una. And to that, so he's groomed him in a sort of way. So in 2001, John got deported back to Washington for his false documents that brought his family to Antigua. At this time, Lee moved to Florida with false documents that John had forged for him. Child services were able to locate the three kids pretty quickly, and an emergency custody hearing granted Mildred full custody of the kids and permission to disappear. Because, obviously, John <laughs> is a flight risk and kidnapped the kids. So, this usually, um, like, if you divorce, even if you get full custody of your kids, you can't just, like, fall off the planet. Like, that's not a thing. So she was granted permission to do that. To, like, run away and not let him know their location. That's so, awesome. yes. So they moved to the other coast near Washington, D.C. So Lee, at this time, joined John in Washington State. 
Una was pretty unhappy about this because she alleged that John took Lee and that he was a bad influence on him. And she tried to get help from the police. But remember how they had forged documents? Didn't really make a lot of sense to go to the police. Well, right. They- <laughs> Who is she to judge when she left her son with a man she didn't even know? Right. And like, if you felt that way about him, maybe he wasn't the best person to do that. Exactly. It's hard. Like, I, I try not to judge her too much. I'm trying to understand the situation, but it's really difficult. I mean, I guess, but like, I just, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess just with like, no, like immigrant, you know, grandparents and stuff like that. I just couldn't imagine them leaving their kids with complete strangers to come over, even if they wanted that better life. Right. You their- want it for your whole family. Exactly. Like, I couldn't imagine them just leaving, like, my dad, let's say, with complete strangers in Mexico just because they right. Like, that doesn't, that's not okay. You figure out a way to bring yourself and your kid over. Exactly. No, I agree. Um. Well, so she goes to the police and they both end up in jail because they have fake documents. Of course. Um. <laughs> so Lee got bailed out and became part of, like, John's plan to reunite his family, which is this. They would kill a bunch of random people, including Mildred, to make it appear as though she was a victim of a random attack. That way he could get custody of his kids. Now, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, if you want to be able to see your kids, how about don't kidnap them? Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, but this is his idea. That this is how they're going to be able to get away with it. So... First, John wants to kind of, like, avenge the situation. So Mildred's friend, who had encouraged her and um, was a witness in this emergency custody hearing um, during their divorce, is um, Isa Nichols. So John told Lee to go to Isa's house and shoot her. So this is still in Washington State. So on February 16th of 2002, Lee knocked on the Nichols door, but Isa didn't answer. Her 21-year-old niece, Kenya Cook, did. Lee shot her in the head just below her left eye and killed her. So Isa's 14-year-old daughter was the person who found Kenya. Because, you know, Lee had no idea who he was looking for. He just, the first person to come to the door is who he shot and he left. That's fucking insane. Yep. And it would be really hard to track them down because they immediately went on the move. So they paid a visit to John's sister in Tucson, Arizona, and it was there on March 19th, 2002, that John would kill 60-year-old Jerry Taylor with a shot to the chest as he was minding his own damn business playing golf. So the two dragged his body behind some shrubs a few hundred feet away, and he was found later on that day by two other golfers. They next traveled to Florida. So in Clearwater, Florida, on May 18th, Lee shot 72-year-old Albert um, Michalczyk as he was golfing with his family. He that survived. is crazy because Clearwater is only like 45 minutes away from where I used to live in Florida. Oh, no kidding. Were you living there in 2002? Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I didn't move from Florida until like 09. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, he was in your area. <laughs> That's so fucking creepy. Yeah, it really is. I know. Well, this gentleman that he shot, Elber, actually did survive. And it was only by Lee's confession that he was even linked to 
the two of them. Yeah, because that's just completely random. Like, you go right. from Washington State to Arizona and kill somebody. Then you go all the way to Florida and you kill somebody. That's, like, completely crazy. Right. It's insane. So, on May 25th, this is a week later, um, the men board a bus where they actually stole the driver's wallet. She had, like, her bag in the seat behind her and they took her wallet out of there. And so she canceled all her credit cards, but she actually forgot that she had had one in there and she didn't cancel that one. And it was later used in Washington at a gas station. I'm going to leave that there for now. It's going to come back later. Okay. So John began working on creating a silencer for his gun. Now, we've talked about silencers before and I have gotten more information about that since then. Silencers are not illegal in the US. You actually, like if you wanna get a silencer, you have to um, go through a very extensive background check. It takes several months and it's about $200 just to apply for one. And what you have to actually do is you go and you buy a silencer like online, let's say, and before you can physically have it, you have to then do this permit, but you have to like attach the serial number of the one that you bought to even apply for it. So you can then put in that money and apply for it and then not get approved. That is so crazy. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know why I always thought those things were illegal. Well, see, I think they have this connotation of, like, making it easier to <laughs> to use them in an improper way. But really, some guns are just super loud. Like, I would love if David would get a silencer for one of his guns. Because when we go out shooting and I have my headphones on, I can still hear it. And it still makes me flinch. That is crazy. That would be awesome. He needs to, David, invest in this, please. <laughs> I know. I keep trying to tell him. I'm like, I, mean, I, know, I want nothing to do with that kind of an expense. But, you know, <laughs> it, would, it would be a worthy expense for somebody who uses a gun like that frequently. So they're not illegal. Um, but anyways, he didn't want anything traced to him. Because like I said, you know, once you've applied, your name is in that system, whether or not you get it. And then also, I mean, so if you shoot, you have to use like subsonic bullets to be able to shoot them through a silencer. It's just a little bit different kind of a bullet. Um, you cannot tell technically that a bullet has been through a silencer. If it's a subsonic bullet, it's going to have to have been through a silencer. But otherwise, you have no idea like whether or not it's been through one. And even if it has been through one, you can't tell which one it just would help like a little bit with the ballistics depending on the bullet but like that aside like him having bought a silencer doesn't specifically trace something to him unless you know what I mean yeah this is an awesome lesson because I had no idea like I don't know anything about guns you're gonna learn a lot about guns first of all in this episode but also just if you have any questions I'm your girl (laughs) if I don't know the answer I will ask David and he will 100% know the answer (laughs) So he was seeking someone in Canada to make a silencer from a piece of lightweight metal tubing that he had. And he actually succeeded in creating one. He had asked um, for help from one of his army buddies, Robert Holmes, but Robert didn't really know how to do it. Um, But, you know, he got in contact with that person in Canada and then successfully made one. So on July 2nd, A Bushmaster XM-15, which is similar to a military-grade M-16 rifle, arrived in a Washington gun shop. So this is, again, Washington State. This gun shop, Bullseye Shooter Supply, also has an indoor range. So we have a couple places like this locally. 
Um, this gun is an AR-15, and AR-15s are that kind of gun that are, like, super fucking loud, that, like, I'm talking, like, David has an AR-15 that, like, blows my ear off, <laughs> like, you would literally, like, <laughs> blow out your eardrum if you listen to it too much. Um, so, you can still hear a clear as day, so having a silencer for this kind of gun is, like, a perfectly practical thing anyways, and these guns are perfectly legal to have, um, it's just the civilian version of this military-grade gun, basically. Um... So the guns are 22 caliber and they're 38, like in a quarter inch long, which is about 97 centimeters. Um, it's huge <laughs> in case it's not a good visual for you. It can shoot up to 3,800 yards, which is 3,500 meters roughly. But the, like what they call effective range is 600 yards, which is about 550 meters. So that's like how um, far you can like with a good, with a, just like a normal sight on your gun can like effectively shoot and like hit a good target, which is a pretty far distance if you think about it. 600 feet is, or 600 yards, excuse me, is very far. Like really far. Yeah. And in most indoor ranges, you can do like up to like a hundred yards, just as like a reference point. <laughs> this is pretty far and those guns like the sights on them um have you have you ever looked in a gun sight before um i have like a bb gun with a scope on it okay so know. you you know what that looks like where it has like the red line on it it has like a little yeah. red like a lot of them have a little red cross like i'm sure a lot of people have seen that whether in a video game or on you know in a movie sometimes they'll do that where they have you looking through a scope and you can kind of see um but anyway so that's what it's saying is like that is a pretty accurate depiction of where you're going to hit up to 600 yards. Gotcha. Which is a very significant distance to be precise. Definitely. So this gun is priced at $1,600 US, which is a pretty, I mean, pretty average price for that kind of gun. Um, And it disappeared from bullseye. They have no record of sale because when you, so when you, when you buy a gun, you give them, you have to have a, a purchase permit. So you give them your purchase permit, they put it in the computer. To get the purchase permit, you have to go through, um, like, a government-ran background check. So, like, all guns are tracked (laughs) Um, in this way. And they have no record of this sale, which is not a thing. So employees had seen Lee before, but nobody noticed this gun missing until they were contacted by police in October. Before I tell you my issues with that, what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) What? (laughs) Do you not do, like, an inventory every day? Do you not have cameras? Like I don't understand how that's possible. And I'm not making accusations. I'm just saying. And I looked at pictures of this place because there's pictures of it online. And it's an average size shop. So, like, and anybody who's never been in a gun store, there's a couple different things to know. So, like, guns aren't just laying all over the place. Okay, yeah, I've never been in a gun store. Okay. Okay, so if you go into, like, a range or to a gun store, they're either going to be, like, in a case or they're going to be on a wall or behind a counter. Like, you can't just walk up and start grabbing guns. Okay, okay. Um, So even if there's nobody manning the shop with a gun like that, it's not like they have 20 of them. Like, they have a, (laughs) like, one of this gun. So, like, there's no reason. That anybody shouldn't have noticed it missing for months. Maybe a day or two. Also, my issue with it is you're literally a store full of these deadly weapons. 
and you don't realize one of them is gone until several months later. Months. Like, any crazy person could have went in there and taken it. Clearly, this crazy person did. But still, what? Yep. And it's just, it just doesn't make any sense to me just because like having gone into gun shops, like you go in there and you ask about a gun and they were like, oh, you're into this style gun. Let me show you this. You know what I mean? Because that's what salesmen do. (laughs) Sounds like a pawn shop. Right. And so it's, okay. So like, and you can see any gun that you want. So like he very well could have asked to see it, but like even before, like a gun could have never, literally never been shot before or had a bullet put in the chamber before and they will check the chamber each and every time you could have looked at it two minutes ago and they're still going to check the chamber and make sure there's nothing in it before they hand it to you okay um so i just thought about some i mean i'm like maybe both of them went in and one of them distracted the salesperson and the other one got the gun possible they could have asked for something that like if there was one person in there they're like oh hey can you show me this or can you set me up with this or whatever i still don't understand how how they they wouldn't notice it missing and i'm not saying it's not possible i just find it super hard to believe because it's not like they have 500 guns like based on their pictures they probably have between like five and 50 of this large of a rifle (laughs) right there's no way you can tell me that um Walmart has a better security system than a gun shop. Right. Sorry. Right. (laughs) And also, like, you can go to, like, any hunting store, and they're going to have, like, 30 to 50 rifles. They're not even going to have more than that. So there's no way that this little gun shop has so many rifles that they can't keep track of them. Also, they each have their own place. (laughs) Like I said, you don't just leave them laying around. Especially because it's an AR-15. It's not, or excuse me, it's an XM-16, but it's like, it's a kind of AR-15. It's just not something, it just, it's not, it's too big and too expensive and too, especially with how specific and fancy this kind of gun is. Mm-hmm. There's no, I'm sorry, there's just, I don't understand it all. Like, that alone <laughs> caught me up. <laughs> I so like now that I'm thinking about it a little bit more real quick, I just want to put a theory out there. Okay. What if they were one of those, you know, every, there's going to be these shady businesses that are going to do shit on the side or underneath the table. What if they were one of those and these men paid them X, Y, and Z or did a favor for them in exchange for the gun. And then when the police came to them, they were like, oh, we didn't know it was gone. That's possible. However, this place is like a like a small source, like family type of owned place. Okay. It's not like a it's not like a giant chain warehouse where they could just like write that off. You know what I mean? But also with it being a gun, they have all of their records of having received the gun and then they're going to be you have to prove records of guns that you've sold. Gotcha, gotcha. So okay. with what it is it's a very risky thing to have done something under the table like that. It would have made more sense for them to have purchased it themselves and then sold it to whomever. That's true. That's true. Because they can easy, you can do that. Like I can buy a gun and then sell it to you tomorrow. And it's not my business whether or not you have a purchase permit because you don't need to give it to me for me to sell it to you. True. True that. True that. So um, I just, regardless of how, this is the weapon that's going to be used in the attacks. And this is the rifle missing from the shop. Completely unnoticed, so to speak. 
So in July, John and Lee paid a visit to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where John had relatives. So they stayed with one of John's cousins, and he told that cousin that they were on a secret military mission to find stolen explosives, because this cousin did not know that he was no longer in the military. So the cousin got kind of weird vibes from Lee, though, and it's probably because they had an AR-15 with them. <laughs> I Like, I don't know, but it might be because of this giant gun that they're carrying around. Um and so they ended up going to stay with a different cousin. And this cousin thought that Lee was incredibly well-mannered and smart, which seems to kind of be like the consensus. And actually, if you take a look at pictures of him, he looks like a super nice guy. So, or kid, I should say. So on August 1st, 52-year-old John Gaeta was changing his tire and he saw shadows. So he turned to look up at, like, at what the shadow was and he was shot in the neck. He laid still on the ground until the men left, and he actually survived. So you know I, that is my plan. Anytime there's not the shooter, anytime anybody is going crazy, I'ma act like I got shot or I'm dead. I'll play dead until they leave, and then I'm gonna get the fuck up. It literally saved his life. So yeah, I highly recommend playing dead. I guess I don't know what other thing I, would work. I was going to say, because I have no, like, let's be real. I'm not going to be able to outrun anybody, and I'm not going to be able to hide that well. Well, yeah, I mean, and I'm, they're also, they shot you, so, like, running doesn't right. do you any good. <laughs> right. No, I'm, fuck that. All right, you win. I'm dead. Right. <laughs> so, snaps for John. Played dead. <laughs> totally fine. Not Obviously not our shooter, John, but. Um, so on August 9th, the men boarded a bus back to Washington. I can't imagine spending this much time, like, in a vehicle, <laughs> by the way. Just all this traveling, I'm like, ooh, that's a lot of moving yeah, around. Well, like, I don't know how people can live in their cars and stuff. I don't but... either. So now there's a gap in time where we don't know what the men were up to. So that's about a month. Um, on September 5th, though, the two were in Clinton, Maryland, and this is where Mildred and the kids were staying with her sister. So pizzeria owner Paul LaRuffa, who was 55, was walking to his car after closing shop with his briefcase, which included the day's earnings, which is about $3,500. So, and I read that and I'm like, there's no way he earned that much money in one day. So either that was a typo or that was just like his like week's earnings or something like that. But anyways, he, I mean, otherwise it's the best pizzeria in the world <laughs> and everybody needs to go there. But um, he was walking with that in his briefcase and his laptop so he got into the car after he put his belongings in the back seat. And when he saw movement out of his window, he turned to look after sitting in his front seat and the window shattered. And six 22 caliber bullets dug into his torso and his left arm. The man grabbed Paul's bags and fled. And Paul survived. I think the scariest part is that these people, so far, the two people that they've shot have survived. Well, there was the um, gentleman who was golfing. Oh, wait, The two yeah, gentlemen. <laughs> yes. The, I think that's just so scary because, like, I couldn't imagine being one of them and just doing an everyday thing and I'm getting shot. And then, like, I don't understand. I couldn't be comfortable going back to my everyday life after that. Right, like he's so fucking paranoid. Right, how many times too? How many times too do you like throw something in your backseat before you get in your car? 
plenty of times and pretty much every day. Every day. (laughs) Yeah. So um, the men next went to New Jersey. They were looking for a friend from Antigua. And the friend's son actually took them out car shopping. So on September 10th, John purchased a 1990 blue Chevy Caprice. It had 147,000 miles on it, which is about um, 236,000 kilometers. Um, And it had a spacious trunk, which is the only thing pretty much that he cared about. Um, Which you'll see why in a little bit. Um, For $250. On September 11th, he registered the car in New Jersey. So on September 14th in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is like right off of the Capitol Beltway Highway, just north and outside of D.C., Arnie Zelkovitz and Rupinder Oberai were closing up a shop at a beer and wine store when a gunshot went off and punctured Rupinder's lower back. It splintered inside of him and hit an organ. He survived. So, sorry that took me so long to res- to say anything, but... I mean, you're absorbing everything I'm telling you, so... <laughs> right, and I was thinking, like, so what does that mean when it's splintered? So when I'm thinking of splintered, I'm just thinking of, like, a splinter from, like, wood. So, like, uh, explain to me if you can. So, like, for lack of a better way of putting it, like, bullets... So, like, you know how a bullet is, like, in a case casing and like it like can separate it like separates into two when you shoot it and the casing flies back oh yeah so this right so the actual bullet part can like without being too graphic like basically separate inside of you instead of like puncturing you as a whole it like it can like separate inside of your body Sorry, people. I'm, like, really ignorant to guns. Like, I swear to God, I'm not even playing. Like, that's what I'm asking. I'm sure a lot of people don't know that. I'm sure a lot of people don't know a lot of stuff about guns. I've found that out. (laughs) I knew, like, the, the, I remember, like, seeing, like, the casing. Like, I've seen that happen. But it's been in movies. So I was like, maybe that's not a real thing. But I've seen that. But I didn't know that it could possibly separate. Yes. So when the physical bullet, like, gets into your body it can it sounds it's exactly what it sounds like it splinters you it like just like wood when it like chips to the side and you can get a splinter (laughs) from that it's like literally bullets can do that inside of you uh okay okay thank you thank you which is a lot more deadly (laughs) yeah definitely here i was i was like okay you get shot and that's it like the bullet can hit nick an artery or something and it could hit somewhere important and then you're dead no, it can it can also like explode inside of you. It doesn't explode. I mean, that's not the right word to use, but I mean, kind that of. That's <laughs> pretty fucking cool, but it's not cool in this sense. But it's still pretty fucking cool. Cool in like a not happening to anybody kind of way. Right now, if it exploded in like a vegetable or a can, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but not to a person. That's what I should do. I should start um doing target practice on tomatoes. Just kidding. It would go yeah, right yeah, through or it. Peaches. <laughs> Anyway, so he survives, which is crazy. So snaps for Rupinder. We're going to snaps for everybody who survives during this, because that's amazing. Um, on September 15th in Brandywine, Maryland, which is a short, short distance southeast of D.C., all of these areas that I'm going to be talking about are a short distance from Washington, D.C. So 32-year-old Mohammed Rashid was closing up a liquor store. There was a car in the parking lot. 
Um, and Muhammad heard two bullets barely missing his head before he got hit in the abdomen. So he collapsed and he stayed still as one of the men approached him and stole his wallet before leaving him for dead. And he survived. Okay. Snaps for Muhammad. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I should also mention, because I know I, I, I talked about the silencer earlier. A silencer doesn't literally make a bullet silent. It changes. So like, okay. So the sound that you hear when a bullet is being shot, is it breaking the sound barrier? So when you have something like a silencer on your gun or like also like the longer your barrel is, you don't hear as loud of a sound when it's being shot, but you hear the crack where it's like aimed at. Does that make sense? It does. And it's quieter, but the impact of sound is a lot stronger at the end of the bullet than where it's being shot from in a case like a silencer. Right. It's not literally silent. Just so we're that clear. Make, that makes, sorry, that makes me think of like, this, like I said, still ignorant, um, but like movies where they use like potatoes at the end of their guns <laughs> and like pillows. So you're telling me if a real silencer doesn't make the bullet come from a gun silent, then how the hell does a potato or a pillow do that? So now I know <laughs> if I ever shoot somebody. Never use a potato or a pillow. Don't do that anyways. Don't shoot anybody. <laughs> that being <laughs> said, I'm also talking about, keep in mind, though, I'm also talking about an AR-15. Oh, if yeah, we're right. going to, like, just a normal pistol, like, if you put a silencer on that, it's going to barely make any noise. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Still a little bit on impact, but not, like, where the crack actually happens, where where the bullet starts to like fall for lack of a better um but so like putting a potato at the end aside from the fact that that's incredibly stupid (laughs) and dangerous and a pillow like adding any kind of length well see that doesn't really make sense though unless you have a hole through the potato because otherwise the gun's just going to impact the potato, which would probably, I mean, cause assuming that you're holding it, like, literally against the end of the barrel, it's just going to result in a big, like, retract. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to do that. Don't do that. I but, was going to say, have you not seen, like, any, like, I don't know if it's been, like, movies or maybe it's music videos where people literally, like, screw the potato on the end of the gun? Oh, that would work, like, if you had a hole through it? Yeah, like, they kind of, like, just screw it on there and then, like, put it against somebody's temple and then fire okay yeah that would um that would actually work a little bit that was super specific and i swear that i have not shot anybody (laughs) well obviously because you don't know what kind of sound it makes (laughs) but like that would like any length that you add to your barrel it's gonna be quieter gotcha so i mean i guess i don't really know if that would work with a potato (laughs) but in theory In the, he probably has. No, in theory, that would technically make it quieter just based on the mechanics of sound. Okay. I like it. So, pillows don't make any sense. Don't fucking shoot a pillow. <laughs> pillows are one of God's greatest gifts. <laughs> Except when they have feathers in them. Yeah, I have one of those, actually. And it's like the pillow that I don't use. It really bothers me when things are poking me while I'm trying to get comfortable. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm good. 
Yeah, I thought I would really like it, and it turns out no. So I've had it for like eight years, and I've never used it. But anyways, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) So at this point, um, John and Lee are going on another road trip. So just after midnight on September 21st in Atlanta, Georgia, which is over 600 miles south of Washington, D.C., which is about 965 kilometers, um, 41-year-old Million Voldemirium went outside as the owner closed up a liquor shop. He was shot in the head and the back by a 22 caliber bullet. The owner ran out to him because he heard it, but he was already dead. Another 160 miles or 260 kilometers south in Montgomery, Alabama, on the very same day, 52-year-old Claudine Parker and 24-year-old Kelly Adams were closing up a liquor store. Kelly was shot once in the neck and Claudine once in the chest. The men robbed them and Lee left behind a fingerprint. Kelly survived the attack. I never knew how random these attacks really were in like different states and here's the thing like if you think about what i talked about earlier with john's plan to like i'm gonna kill a bunch of people and make Mm -hmm. it look like a random attack on mildred attacks in alabama that you're not having linked to you make no sense for like why are you doing that (laughs) right like when you said that i assumed like he was gonna do like this mass shooting somewhere in the area that she lived in. Oh, don't worry. That's coming. (laughs) Yeah. But like the fact that it was literally spaced out like this, like that, no wonder everybody was so freaked out. Like I could never really understand why everybody like literally in the whole entire United States was as freaked out as what they were. Like I think this side of the United States should have been, but not people on like the West coast. But now I see why. Right. They were literally going everywhere. And, I mean, well, no, I won't bring that up now. So, on September 23rd in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So, now we're going 360 miles southwest in 580 kilometers. um, 45-year-old Hong M. Ballinger was walking to her car after her shift at a beauty shop at 6.30 p.m. when she was hit in the head by a bullet. A witness saw a black man drive out of a field just 200 feet, which is like 65 meters um, away, and another black man get into the passenger side with Hong's purse. So this is our first witness sighting of anything happening. But remember, we're in Baton Rouge. So we're in a location (laughs) that's not tied to any of the other things that are happening. Right. So on September 28th in Gulfport, Mississippi, which is 135 miles east, which is about 217 kilometers, a police officer ran their tags because they were suspicious of the vehicle, but it was completely clean. On October 1st, the plates were run in Fairfax County, Virginia, which is now 1,000 miles north of where they just were, which is about 1,600 kilometers. And again, now we're back outside of D.C., So they took that lovely long road trip for God knows why, and then came right back up. On October 2nd, the plates were run in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is 20 miles north, um, or about 32 kilometers north um, of Fairfax County, and is also just outside of D.C. At 5.20 p.m. in Aspen Hill, Maryland, a shot was fired through a Michael's Craft Store window, 
barely missing a cashier named Ann Chapman. Nobody was hurt. And they just thought it was a weird fluke thing. But just an hour later in Wheaton, a call was made to 911. And the call was, and I quote, I'm at a shopper's food warehouse on Randolph Road and a man just fell in the parking lot. There was a loud noise, but we're not sure if he was shot. On the ground was 55-year-old James Martin. He did not survive the shot to his back. So it seemed like a terrible random attack, right? And it did. And yeah. That whole shooting of like shooting the one bullet through the Michaels, like, what? Bitch, I'm just trying to get stuff for my cricket. I know it wasn't a thing then, but Right. <laughs> right. Just like let me buy my freaking card stock. Right. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Bitches got crafts to do. <laughs> right. And like I think the thing that is crazy, like it maybe it was the way you said it, but it kind of like sounded like they really didn't think anything of it. But I would have been like, bitch, what the fuck? That bullet almost hit me. What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, from from the reading that I did on that, the cashier, obviously people were alarmed. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't like, a, oh, we think something's going to happen. They were like, okay, that was weird, but nothing else is happening. So I guess we're good. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I was so dramatic. <laughs> You're like, no, no, I don't get it. I'm going home. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going home. I quit. <laughs> and I'm taking all the cards stock with me. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. So it seemed like a completely random attack, but it only just started at this point. So on October 3rd at 7.45 a.m., 39-year-old James Buchanan was mowing grass for his landscaping job when he was shot dead by a single bullet. As police were taking a look at the crime scene, another call came in. 54-year-old Prem Kumar, um, yep, I can't read my own handwriting, Wallakar. Sorry, that was because this is his last name. I'm like, that's not a word. <laughs> um, Prem Kumar Wallakar was pumping gas in Aspen Hill when he was shot dead by a single bullet. And this was at 8.12 a.m., which is less than 30 minutes later. 25 minutes later in Norbeck at 8.37 a.m., 34-year-old Sarah Ramos, who was reading a book on a bench, was shot dead by a single bullet. Then just over an hour later at 9.58 a.m., 25-year-old Lorianne Lewis Rivera was vacuuming her car at a gas station in Kensington, Maryland, when she was shot dead by a single bullet. Then at 9.20 p.m. in D.C., a single bullet killed 72-year-old Pascal Charlotte, who was walking along the street. Um, can I just tell you my anxiety is really high right now? Yeah, everybody deep breath. Like, literally just hearing all of that just, that just happened from the Michaels to now. Right. In one day. One day. So, at this point, obviously alarm is setting in. Montgomery County's Chief of Police, Charles Moose, held a press conference, and they said that public schools were on code blue and private schools were on lockdown. Um, and just a quick reminder that this is only one year after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. This is 2002. So I'm going to take a quick pause here, and we're actually going to listen to an interview 
so I have our friend Shannon here who was so kind and willing to talk to us a little bit about <laughs> her experience because she actually is from that area and was living there at the time. So Shannon, you, where did you actually live? I lived in a town called Spikesville, Maryland. It's about half an hour outside of Baltimore and about uh, 45 minutes to an hour from the places that the shootings in the Maryland part of this happened. Okay. Did you know anybody who was personally affected by this? I didn't know anybody who was personally affected, but some of the shootings that happened happened near areas that I knew from growing up. So my both of my parents were actually from Montgomery County, which is one of the counties that some of the shootings happened in. And one of them happened in a parking lot area outside of a like a senior living area facility called Leisure World where my great grandparents actually lived and I used to visit them when I was little and then my dad actually drove from where we lived an hour plus into Washington DC every day for work so he drove through multiple of the areas past where multiple of these shootings happened and it was pre-cell phone so it was an extra level of scary for my mom and I because we would wake up and hear about some shooting that happened in the morning. And, you know, if my dad hadn't called to say, Hey, or whatever, maybe he got to work and hadn't heard the news yet because it wasn't quite as, you know, electronically connected as today or how. Yeah. So if we hadn't heard from him, the first thing we'd be doing in the morning is calling his work and making sure that he made it fine because we would have woken up and heard about, a shooting that he would have probably driven past that area. That's terrifying, especially because they were killing people like at gas stations. And right. I mean, just random. So did, um, did your dad take any special precautions at this time that you're aware of? Like, did he like basically drive his car until it was out of gas? Did he like anything like that? I think he was pretty um, good at making sure that he wouldn't need to stop for gas on the way, but I'm pretty sure that at least one of the times, um, I don't know if like the way was blocked or exactly the circumstances, but I do remember my mom telling me that he actually stopped before work at one of his friend's houses, I think because either a shooting had happened or, you know, maybe he heard on the radio or something, but he stopped on the way to work and like waited at one of his friend's house on the way because of something related to this that was happening and he didn't want to like be driving around in that area. Wow. So how old were you at this time? I was in middle school. I want to say sixth grade, maybe seventh. So early, like 11 or 12, I think. What years? Uh, (laughs) We're in 2002. I know. (laughs) Got to think back a little bit. I know I experienced it, but the years kind of get jumbled. Yeah. So 2002, I would have been 11 or 12. So yeah, early middle school. Okay. Now, did your school take any kind of precautions or were you like just far enough outside that they didn't? Well, the thing is, I mean, like I said, I was kind of in the middle-ish between DC and Baltimore. Right. And nobody knew where these guys were going or like who they were killing, if there was a link or anything. And so I didn't live directly off 
like a huge interstate, but it wouldn't have been super hard to get to where I lived. Um, so we definitely, I think we're in like a dangerous zone. And I remember my mom called one day to the school when the shootings were happening like pretty rapidly one after the other day by day. And she was like, are you letting the students go out for recess? And they were like, yeah. She's like, can you not? Can you not? I don't. (laughs) Are you like, you really want to risk a bunch of lives of middle schoolers? Cause our recess was, you know, just out like next to the school and open area. It's not like in, but you know, a secure area. And so it wouldn't be out crazy to think that they, and I think that they potentially were going to do another wave in Baltimore or something. Didn't they? I think if I remember right, they might've had another wave planned. Well, yes. And they also like kept going up and down. It's not like they were only going one direction and they were moving away from Baltimore. Like they kept going back and forth through the different um, counties near DC. So like at any point in time, they could have decided to hit that county. Right. And so my town would have been potentially an easy target. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if there's mass shooter, like serial shooters out that, you know, that it's not like a huge group of them, but it's a few of them that are consistently killing people. I don't know why you couldn't take a couple days and do indoor recess, you know, like they do it rains. So when there's murderers about (laughs) maybe don't. I know. Maybe don't do that. I had read somewhere that certain public schools are going into code blue and I tried figuring out what exactly that meant for those schools. And it's a very gray area. And I know private schools are going into lockdown, but it there's no like definition of what counties did that and what area specifically did that because it happened in such a large, you know, yeah. span of space. So it's just interesting to see how close you were and that your school really didn't do anything which is terrifying especially after that 13 year old got shot yeah so I mean I know my mom specifically said like well do not let my daughter go out like I was not not that we had a choice like we didn't have to go out our recess time was just during our lunch time as well so if you finished your lunch and wanted to go outside and do stuff you could it's not like we had a whole separate time like in elementary school Um, so, and I kind of knew what was happening and I didn't always go out anyway, so it wasn't a huge deal, but I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know how they would have stopped me. They probably just said okay to her and like blew it off, but, and I know we had some kind of code something because actually, (laughs) interestingly, near where I grew up, there also was like a mental hospital, like a psych hospital and occasionally somebody would get out <laughs> oh. so i believe there were an occasional instance where somebody like got over to our school that wasn't supposed to be there i don't remember it being called a code blue i don't remember what it was called but there was there was a time or two i was there that i'm pretty sure we were like locked in our classrooms for a moment but they did nothing like that with with the snipers that really blows my mind yeah. So, um, once they were officially, like, caught, did you 
and I know you were young, but did, from your memory, did you like feel a sense of relief or did you guys think that there were more people involved? Do you have any recollection of your thoughts on that? I don't think so. I mean, this was like soon after 9-11 and right. I just remember this whole time kind of being like, what is happening in the world? Like, I guess it's, this is probably really dumb to say, but I'm sure there were big events that happened from when I was born until I got to this middle school time. But when I hit sixth grade, that's when 9-11 happened. Soon after was the snipers. And it's the first time I remember just kind of being overwhelmed and realizing like all of the bad things in the world, right. I guess. That's when your anxiety started. Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> Potentially, yes. <laughs> but I don't really remember the ending to it honestly like I feel like if it happened now I probably would be able to tell you something but I just remember being scared on those days that something happened and that my mom was like oh a shooting happened near Leisure World or a shooting happened off Rockville Pike where my dad's mom lived um so places I knew a little bit in sixth grade like in the moment it scared me but I didn't quite have the sense of like, it's probably the first, you know, kind of mass shooting kind of incident that I'd ever really heard of. I, Columbine was sometime before that, I think. Oh, I have no idea when that and happened. Like, this is terrible. I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah. What, what, am I, was it before that? I don't know. It was sometime growing up and I, that was like a big thing. But again, I was young. So I don't really have a good answer to like, yeah, I felt a sense of closure when it happened because I was in sixth or seventh grade. Right, exactly. I just knew I was always happier when I knew my dad was safe and that's the person who it affected the most. So I didn't, at that point, I didn't, wasn't really thinking about my own safety because to me, it was just close to where my dad worked. It wasn't like something that had hit my exact town. So it was just kind of like scary, but not a hundred percent impacting me you know right middle school is just you're just trying to survive yourself so <laughs> right no that makes perfect sense actually and I think also I mean just things that we always talk about with true crime like you know you never think that something's going to happen to you but yeah. the idea of something happening I mean, to your loved one I definitely know that at that point in my life I had no thought of like oh they're gonna come to my town my parents did obviously right but to me, I was just like, oh, it's scary that they're near where my great-grandparents lived or where my grandma lives or where my dad drives by. But I was never like, oh, that also means that they could come and hurt me or my family here where right. I live. Right. Wow. So I don't even really remember the end of it. I like remember them being caught. But I think to me in sixth grade, I was just like, okay, moving on. Right. But no, that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like it's probably, see, I don't really have any memory of it um, from not being from that area, but also because I would have been um, like 10. Yeah. Do you remember hearing about it at all? Because I mean, it was such a huge thing where I lived and we heard about it every single day. Do you remember like at all? Not, hearing not a thing. And I don't know if it's because like, just because of how disconnected, you know, compared to today, 
I yeah. was to technology and to everything like that. I don't know and if it's because, because my parents didn't feel the need to share it with me because, it, you know, it wasn't going to affect us and they didn't right. want to, like, scare the shit out of me, especially after 9-11. And, right. you know, I, I don't know. But I, I had no idea that this was going on. Yeah, it is on. so interesting to think, like, it. I think so much. You know, I don't think about it all the time, but I can – you said the DC sniper and there's another podcast about it that my mom had told me about. And I listened to like 10 minutes and I knew every single place they talked about and it freaked me out so much. I couldn't listen to it anymore. Wow. Uh-huh. Cause I knew those places and I didn't want to hear it. And so it's just so interesting to think that not everybody like feels the same way when they hear about this right. thing. Right. Just like how other countries, if you say nine 11, they're like, Oh, first of all, it's not even necessarily what they call for police. Most places don't. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah. <laughs> that like it doesn't mean anything to people, and it's so weird to me because that was it, it. It still is such a huge part of our history now here. Yeah. In a obviously a negative way, but you know, it's just it's it's very interesting how when you're physically removed from something, it's like it didn't happen. Yeah. So it's really um really interesting. Um, do you have any other specific memories that you can think of regarding that? I think the only other thing that that was like interesting, I guess, to me as a younger person is that it was that there was a young person involved in the actual shootings. Right. Well, Lee Malvo was a teenager, right? He was, yes. Yeah. So I think that was really the most striking thing for me because even now it's another silly thing to say but you know you think of a murder you think like well I don't know if everybody thinks this but I think like <laughs> middle-aged like older not a teenager I do too and obviously like you said I mean obviously teenagers are killing people I mean teenagers kill their freaking siblings and families right. but like I just don't think of and you know of course he was very brainwashed and there's a lot of different you know psychology that goes yeah, into that yeah. but I mean yeah he was at the time that they were arrested he was 17 yeah and so I think that was probably one of the bigger things that I just remember from it cuz I was 11 or 12 so he wasn't that much older than me right right so just thinking of like somebody a teenager going out and like just randomly killing people was shocking to me but yeah it was uh definitely a time that I remember well but more of just because of it affected others around me um and it was huge in the news but thankfully I mean it didn't get any closer than that but yeah my dad definitely was very exposed to a lot of the areas yeah, that's really scary. I can't imagine what that must have felt like. And of course, he probably didn't want to put any kind of, you know, fear into you and your mother. So he, I don't know why it feels weird when I say mother. I kind of wish I could say mom. <laughs> <laughs> to you and your mom. Um, like, you know, so I'm sure he was, you know, I can just imagine him being like, oh, you know, everything's fine. I'm good. I'll call you when I get there. Yeah. And I think really it, it impacted, I'm sure it impacted my mom a ton because she both grew up around that area too so they both like I I knew I'd been to those places and stuff but my mom's like I know exactly like this gas station across from this place that I used to eat all the time is where one happened right 
gosh. So, you know, it'd be like if something happened in Wilmington and we were like, oh, I literally know exactly where that is. Right. And it's so, especially when it's such a, you know, such a normal place, like something like the gas station or, you know, the Home Depot, like, okay, you don't think about bad things happening in those places. You think about things when you're like, okay, I shouldn't be in the woods at night or I shouldn't, you know what I mean? Be walking down alleys. It's not like, oh, it was just that they were killing people who wronged them in their mind or. Right. It was literally anybody. They were targeting (laughs) this kind of person or this, you know, it, it was just so random that, you know, you stop to go get a cake for your boss or something or your friend for work and then you're randomly killed. So it was, it was scary, but I think it definitely impacted me, but I think it was an age that it didn't impact me as much as it could have. Oh, that's very didn't. Yeah. You know, you're just more kind of like thinking about yourself at that age and you're like, oh, that stinks. That's scary. But right. you don't realize enough to make it have a lasting like screwing you up impression. <laughs> right. No, definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. You're welcome. So a ton of tips were called in, but one in particular stood out because more than one witness claimed to see a white box truck near the scene. Now, can we can we just real quick talk about how there's no good reason to have a white box truck if you do not like do plumbing <laughs> or landscaping? Right. Or an obnoxiously like big um, van. Right. Van? No, there's no need for you to have one. This shouldn't be your personal vehicle. I'm sorry. Right. And (laughs) I just like, and for people who don't live in the U.S., it's probably not as, it might not be as big of a thing for you guys. But like we have, they're, they're just like large, like minivan looking cars, but with like (laughs) flat top roofs and they're all white and they have no windows except for where the driver and the passenger sit. There's no reason for any vehicle to not have windows. Even if you're a landscaper, why can I not look at your rakes? Right. Like, that shit is just too sketchy. It's so sketchy. um, It's, like, the number one vehicle that pedophiles use to pick up kids. So, yeah, no, I'm staying away from those things. (laughs) Exactly. That is one thing we were taught in an early age here in America. Do not talk to strangers in bands. (laughs) (laughs) So criminal, crim, hello, criminal profilers thought that the shooter was likely a white male. On October 4th in Spotsylvania, Virginia, 43-year-old Caroline Sewell was shot in the chest at 2.30 p.m. while loading her car at a Michael's craft store. What's the deal with the craft stores? Can you believe okay, as crafters alone? Right, you never think that you're in danger at a Michael's. Never. That's the happiest place. Right. The only danger is like spending too much money. <laughs> that's true because I, I can go spend a lot of money up in there. But oh, yeah. Same. But that's ridiculous. Um, Caroline does survive the shot. Okay. Um, but just like so, so far there's a huge like amount of people being attacked at liquor stores and craft stores. And I think that's so strange. And gas stations. And gas stations. So on October 7th at 8.09 a.m. in Bowie, Maryland, Tanya Brown dropped her 13-year-old nephew off at his middle school. Iran Brown was shot in the chest. 
13 years old. He survived. So at the scene, police found a tarot card. It was the tarot card for death. And on the front, it said, call me God. And on the back, it read three different lines. The first line said, for you, Mr. Police. The second line said, code, call me God. And the third line said, do not release to the press. So against police efforts, the card was public news the very next day. I just, I just really want to say this. All of this, just to go and kill the mother of your children. Right. This is literally the only reason why you're doing all of this, is to go kill her. So it looks like it was an accident. It's a lot. Yeah, that's... That's fucking crazy. I, I keep know. saying that, but it is. It's just fucking insane. Like, I don't... I'm not about to go do no crazy shit like that for the father of my child. Like, this is just fucking insane. Well, also, there's, like, no rhyme or reason to the people that they're killing. Exactly. You're literally going to craft stores, liquor stores, gas stations. Some of the happiest people are there. Minding their <laughs> business. And you just want to fuck shit up. Right. And they're all ages, all races, all genders. Like, there's no, literally no MO. It's just straight opportunity. Right. And, and then the 13-year-old, he was 13, right? 13. Why? 13-year-old, like, come on. Let's just, let's just have a life minute for a second a life corner real quick <laughs> let's not do anything to children can we just have right. to live please like what's the worst that they've done in their little 13 to however many years of life probably nothing like, just let them fucking live right I don't understand it all and well thankfully he does live but I don't understand it all why like <laughs> why did you go and target a middle schooler like that just doesn't make any sense and also i just want to mention real quick um in regards to the tarot card there are actually pictures of it online and i will be posting it on the instagram i highly recommend looking at it super um, creepy it's it's pretty creepy um but also i mean it just brings me back to the schooling thing you know we already listened to shannon's interview and i'm actually i'm about to have y'all listen to another one um but like i i like it's so sad that there wasn't a better way for him to have you know like maybe school should have been shut down i'm sorry like if there's this crazy mass shooting going on definitely um i'm trying to think like when i was in school if we ever like i think we went on a lockdown when i was in school in florida once but it wasn't like a super i think it was just like a drill and even then, during the drill, like, it was a half-ass drill, basically. Right. Yeah, same, actually. We used to do, like, bomb threat drills and stuff like that. Right. Like, but, like, this is, like, there's an active shooter in the area. But I guess, what do you do? You just close down every school within, like, 100 miles? Like, what are you supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know. I'll let you hear what the next person has to say about that, because I actually cracked the hell up. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you another interview right now. So our friend Kelly agreed to talk to us, and um, this is the same Kelly who called Jasmine stupid. I'm going to call you <laughs> out real quick. <laughs> I didn't call her stupid. False. 
this is the time to defend yourself. <laughs> it was like in a joking way. You know, Jasmine put my government name out there. Everybody <laughs> called her stupid. It's not true. I love them both. <laughs> it's so funny, though, because Jasmine does say some stupid stuff and I love it. Anyways, <laughs> so Kelly is from um, a different area than both Stephanie and Shannon. So it's kind of a nice little array of things. And how old were you in 2002? Um, I was 15, so I was a sophomore in high school. You were in high school. Perfect. Yes. Um, so in what, what exact area were you living in? Um, so I was living in the same town that I grew up in. I lived in Orange County, um, which is um, in terms of like where it is in um, relationship to kind of the case would be um, just a little bit outside of the Fredericksburg, Spotsylvania area. Um, and that was the furthest south that um, like a victim was. Okay. So you're on the south end there. Okay. And then yes. Stephanie was from the northern part of there and then Shannon was in Maryland. So we have Correct. you guys stretching basically along the entire beltway there, which is really cool. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I say yeah. cool loosely. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm the, like, so like, um, I'm the furthest down on 95 that they came, basically. Right. Cool. Okay. So you were a sophomore in high school. Do you remember <laughs> um, your school taking any precautions or anything like that? So from the, what I remember is the only... <laughs> the only sort of precaution that we were given um was we got the bob and weave talk <laughs> um so my um high school i come from so my i come from a very small town um my high school was very old it was actually the same building that my parents went to high school in um so at the time it was under renovation and we had a lot of um what they called learning cottages in um the back of it which were kind of like little trailers that they had brought in um while the main building was being renovated um and so we had a bunch of construction area and stuff like that and so um when that was going on the biggest talk that we got from like school administration was um you know when you're outside from class to class um because we had at that time we had four periods um you know during the day so we had four blocks and when you're going from class to class in between those four blocks basically if you heard any gunshots to bob and weave to your closest <laughs> building <laughs> and that was really all that we got and um i so i remember kind of being like oh cool that that's all we get but then at the same time not being super concerned um mainly because i was a 15 year old kid so probably kind of um still a little naive you know that doesn't happen really i mean in the sense that like one it was really close so like a little shaken in terms of like it being that close to home but then in the same time in, in the same sense it wasn't um so Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania weren't my hometown either like it was close enough that um the places that it happened were places that I went to all the time but they also weren't places that I lived per se um and so for me you know as a 15 year old I was like you know, you kind of shrug it off, I guess. But I do kind of remember um, there was one specific construction area um, that was kind of surrounded 
um, like this little pathway. So you were kind of in this little walkway and you were surrounded on both sides um, by this type of fencing. And I remember thinking like, if this were where I was at the time, it would be really easy for someone to pick me off. <laughs> like, right. I don't know that Bob and Weave would help me here. <laughs> um, and I do remember thinking that, but short of that, that was really all we got from school officials. <laughs> I'm not to even going to call that like a uh, precaution. I'm going to call that terrible advice. <laughs> yeah. That's all we got was like, keep your head down, bob and weave and get to the closest building. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and then wait for, you know, law enforcement. That's insane. <laughs> okay. So glad that that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> now, did anybody that you know get affected by this in any way? Um, so in terms of like a victim or anything, I didn't directly know the victims in the Fredericksburg slash Spotsylvania area. Um, in terms of people being impacted close to me, I guess I would say my brother and my dad, um, only because, so my brother is three years older than me and at the time would have been, I guess a freshman in um, college and he was a commuter student. Um, so he drove back and forth to a college. Um, actually the college that we both ended up going to was in Fredericksburg at the time. Okay. Um, and so Fredericksburg, um, so really just really quickly, Fredericksburg is in Spotsylvania County, but it's a city. It's like its own city. And my dad worked as a police, a, a police officer. I don't even know where that came from. My dad worked as a fireman for That's the not city the same. of Fredericksburg. <laughs> not the same at all. Not Never even had that mistake. I don't know where that came from. So my dad was a fireman for the city of Fredericksburg. And, you know, my brother went to college there. And so um, really the only thing that I remember is um, both – him and my brother like being very like my parents telling my brother like you're not stopping in between classes to like get gas or like really do anything in Fredericksburg like go to school come home basically like that was it don't do anything else um because one of the shootings the shooting in Spotsylvania was at a place I believe I'm correct when I say was in like four mile fork which is kind of like in Spotsylvania County. So that was a little bit further away, but, um, and that is, was at the gas station where the person actually was, um, murdered. But then there was a second shooting in, um, it's still technically in Spotsylvania County. So it wasn't in Fredericksburg city limits, but, um, it's what, anybody who kind of lives there considers Fredericksburg is at the local mall that I went to growing up all the time. Um, it was, and it was at a Michael's and the lady actually ended up surviving. I think it was a lady. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, so she ended up surviving, but she was shot there. Um, and so I remember that one pretty vividly because I mean, I've been in that parking lot right. numerous times prior to that. And since then, um, and so, um, I just remember, you know, my dad and my brother at that point, it, you know, they would basically, they weren't doing anything before or after really school and work. It was like you were getting gas in our hometown, you know, going straight to work and school and coming straight back until, you know, they kind of figured out what was going on with everything and until they got caught and then everything kind of settled back down. And I actually called my dad 
today to just kind of because I never really asked him to be completely honest mm-hmm. um if they did anything differently with the fire department um and it never really occurred to me to ask because I was a selfish 15 year old at the time <laughs> um and I was like hey dad like did you do anything different then um and he said no um that the only thing they really told them was the same thing they told us like bob and weave Wow. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, it was, I mean, it was more about like, you know, scene safety at a fire, you know, a fire call for, you know, either a structure fire or like a, an accident or something just to be aware of your surroundings and stuff like that. But in terms of like, there wasn't any like different protocol or anything for them um, in the city at the time. It was just kind of everyone being more alert, I guess is what he said. But um nothing really different in terms of me knowing anybody that was affected directly by them. I know, not really. That's really crazy that they weren't even taking precautions like in a, in a position like that. I mean, it, I just, I feel like, you know, talking to all three of you that it kind of like everybody seemed to kind of feel like it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. Even though the attacks were being on random people of all ages, of all races, of all genders, like it, it it's just kind of, it's kind of, crazy now did you when they got caught do you remember any kind of feeling that you had or did your parents mention anything because like obviously with it being just you know a year after 9-11 like Mm -hmm. it it could have easily been like a terrorist related thing and it might not have been just these two people you know what I mean right um I don't think I remember feel I think by the point that they got caught I think that had kind of all I think I remember feeling more worried about it being um, tied to like a bigger scale terrorist thing towards the beginning of it um, than by the time that they got caught and like they had kind of figured out it was just like the two guys and, you know, things that kind of smoothed over. And to be honest, especially for me, um, I'll be interested to hear like what Stephanie and um, (laughs) – Shannon said, sorry. I'm just going to let you struggle through that. No. Um, it's okay. Um, I'll be interested to see what they thought because they were a little closer to more of the victims. Um, because really, I mean, the two that n- near me were pretty far south. Um, and it was kind of out of character from the other victims for them, you know? Right. Um, and so it was, um, for us, it kind of felt, I remember when it happened, it was like, it was shocking because you're right. It was, it was very much a feeling of like, by that point, you know, after nine 11, it happened. And so I guess now that you say that I'm going to go back and tell you that I was 15 based on the date range, but I was a junior at, in high school because I was a sophomore when nine 11 happened. So okay. I was a year older than I thought I was Okay. Um, or a year ahead of, in, in high school than I thought I was. Um, but I guess at that point, it was definitely a feeling of like, you know, it, it, this isn't going to happen here, you know, and then it did. And you're still kind of like it. It's not going to happen again, I guess, is the thought. Like, it, there's right. no way it's going to happen again, you know is more of kind of the feeling. And then, you know, they caught them. And I remember thinking like, okay, well that's done now. Okay. <laughs> I, which sounds silly, but like, I think that's really kind of how I felt by that point, because I feel like at that point, you know, they had kind of, I, rem- I vaguely remember them kind of being really confident that it wasn't tied to any like terrorist thing. And I think 
especially as, you know, a kid that young at 15, you just kind of take the media and what they say on, you definitely take them on blind faith at that point. Um, and so soon after nine 11, um, I was definitely willing to just be like, okay, well, you know, they know what they're talking about. It's just the two of them. It's, you know, so I'm good to go. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, in terms of like that kind of impact for me, I feel like, you know, nine 11 had a, had a different sort of impact for me. Um, than than this one did so after that I was I was more willing to just be like okay they say I'm good to go so I'm good to go right no that makes total sense yeah yeah um now after they got caught of course you know Lee Melville was very young um yeah and you know even just now do you have any thoughts about I mean aside from like you know his obvious you know brainwashing and the control Mm -hmm. that was happening there like do you have any thoughts on how like I just think it's terrifying like, I can't even spit out what I'm trying to say. Like, it's just, it's terrifying that somebody so young could be involved in something so, you know, scary. Because he was, he was like your age. I mean, he was just a pinch older yeah. than you. Yeah, no, I definitely think that for me, um, I remember being really shocked when it came out that there were, I, I wasn't shocked that there were multiples, but I remember being very shocked that he was so young, that right. one of them was so young. Um, and then I remember, um, I don't think that I paid a bunch of attention to um, the case at the time in terms of like the details. Um, I, you know, I knew they caught them and I knew they were prosecuting them and I paid attention to, um, you know, the guilty and, you know, kind of what happened after that, but I didn't focus a ton on it. Um, You know, I was 15, I was a junior in high school. I wasn't, too into um true crime at the time I I'm gonna back that up I always loved true crime and I so like I watched a ton of you know I always watched like the Dateline specials and stuff like that right um I had what we refer to as poor people tv um (laughs) when I was growing up so we didn't have dish or direct tv or anything like that so I only saw what the news gave me like my local news stations and um what I read in the newspaper and then that was kind of it um so I didn't I couldn't watch any like you know in-depth things on like oxygen or any specials or anything like that so my um kind of in-depth on Lee Mal his last name is Malvo right or yes Mm -hmm. yeah so my my kind of in-depth knowledge on him didn't come until recently to be completely honest until I kind of got into podcasts and started listening to more true crime podcasts and a couple I think I can't remember if it was morbid or crime junkie that did a couple episodes on them um but at the time I didn't really get a good in-depth I knew Obviously, that for him to be that young, he had to have been brainwashed. But the media at the time, and especially in my area, didn't really say a whole lot about it. Um, You know, they gave us kind of the details and that, um, you know, it was more of like, you know, they were in court today and this is what happened in court today and X, Y, Z and boom, you know, and then on to the next media story. And, you know, the details in the newspaper, they didn't really... You know, it's it's the South and they don't print a lot of salacious details. <laughs> and so I don't you know, I didn't get a lot of what happened to him 
you know? And so I don't really remember thinking too much at the time other than thinking like, wow, he's my age. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And then kind of going on with my life Mm -hmm. and not really thinking too much about it, to be completely honest. Um, Other than, wow, he's my age and he's going to be in jail for the rest of his life. That's crazy. And that was really all I thought about it. Um, And now having, you know, listened to some podcasts and kind of heard more in more in depth, I would probably say if you had asked me at the time, I would have told you that, you know, he's getting what he deserves, you know, right. You know, he definitely deserves to be in jail for the rest of his life. And honestly, if you had asked me at the time, I probably would have told you he deserved the death penalty because he killed a lot of people. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you ask me now, I probably don't know that I agree with that assessment anymore. Now, do you mean like in terms of the death penalty or you mean in terms of like life in prison? I don't know. I don't know that I think that he needs definitely not the death penalty for him. Right. Mm -hmm. He was, he was 15. I mean, he was really young and, um, he went through a lot and it doesn't make it right by any means. I mean, he took the lives of people who didn't do anything to him and, you know, there are a lot of families that were affected by this, but at the same time, um, I think that he was a victim as well in a way. And so I don't necessarily know that I feel the same way that I would have at 15, you know, because people change. And so I think that now, I don't know. I just, I I definitely wouldn't agree with the death penalty now. I'm not saying I don't agree with the death penalty at all. I think I'm one of those people who's very, um, it's like a gray area for me. There are just some people that I feel like I could say like with absolute certainty, like, yes, you can kill them. Like get out of here. (laughs) You're done. Right. Like, like John Wayne Gacy with your clown face, get out of here. I'm done (laughs) with you. But like, I don't know that I feel the same way about him, you know? And, um, so in a roundabout way with that very muddled answer to your question at the time, (laughs) I don't know what I felt about him because I don't think I really thought about him. You know, I just didn't have a lot of information on him. I get that. I know. I, I struggle too kind of with his, um, his sentencing. The problem is like, I agree that people change, but the problem is that he at that time could not differentiate between right and wrong. And I'm not sure that people can change that. Does that make sense? Like, I think that people right. are capable of change, but I feel like, okay, well, if you at some point in your life couldn't tell that what you were doing is wrong and you shouldn't be doing it, then I'm not sure that that trait is Right, does is that ever go change. away? Right. So I'm right. like, and you might be a totally fine person, but you still, if, if that's a gray area for you, then you do not need to be out of prison. Right. I don't think he needs to be out of prison. I don't necessarily disagree there, but I don't know that. You know, I don't really know. I just feel like I also feel like there's a lot to his background and how he how he even ended up with this guy doesn't make sense to me. Like if you lit like it's just a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot there. It's a yeah, it's a suitcase to unpack. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I remember like I say recently, like I didn't know a lot about him and probably until within the last year or so is when I kind of really learned the details of his backstory. And so I just remember thinking like, wow, no wonder this kid, like, 
not that it justifies him doing anything, uh, any of the things that he did. I'm not saying that, but like, I just remember hearing like his story, like his background and being like, good God, like, how does any, like, what is going on here? Right. You know? And just so, yeah. It makes sense lot. that when somebody like jumped in to be a father figure of sorts to right. him, that he that, went into that, like that, that makes a hundred percent sense to me that he went yeah. with that and that he was like, okay, well, this is what, you know, my so I mean, he says, called dad wants. He says it's cool. So I guess right. it's cool. Like, let's do this right. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, I'm just, I'm happy it got stopped when it did. And um, I have, you know, a lot, I don't have any, I mean, no, forget it. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you but, have any? It's funny looking back. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you cut out for a second. Sorry. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so do you have any other specific memories from that time period in regards to this don't tell me about your like <laughs> junior prom <laughs> you don't want to hear all about my life i don't uh, not now maybe later <laughs> um i don't i'm not really that i can think off of the top of my head to be completely honest um i do vaguely remember thinking like when i say like so when I say that Orange was like a really small town, like I know Stephanie and um, I know so Stephanie grew up in Northern Virginia, which Northern Virginia is a very different type of area from where I grew up in. It's very, um, Stephanie grew up in like a city and um, my area was much um, more of a country type area, um, you know, 30 minutes to the closest like grocery store, that type of thing. Oh God. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so like, um, my, like the road I grew up on was a dirt road. It didn't get paved until I was probably, I think I was 20 by the time it, when oh it got gosh. paved. So like my whole, like at this time I was still living on a dirt road. That's like, when I say country, like that's the kind of country I mean. Um, so I do remember thinking like, I don't know that gunshots would register because I was used to them because people hunt. Right. And so, so like my neighbor, so like I had a neighbor that was two door, like when I say two doors down, so like people who grew up in a city, like two doors down would mean like you could see two doors down. But when I say two doors down, the house, I couldn't see their house, but he would like target practice and I could hear it. And I like, he did it all the time. So it, it was like background noise. Right. That makes perfect sense, actually. Like, even here, I mean, not in Wilmington city limits, mm -hmm. but if you live outside of the city limits, like, you can go right. shoot. Like, I shoot in Burgaw. You know what right. I mean? So, yeah. and it's totally and legal there. So, that makes that makes sense. That never even occurred to me that that's pro there's probably a lot of places like that in that area that people wouldn't even think twice right. about hearing a gunshot. And, like, I grew up, you know, my dad and my brother went hunting every, you know, they weren't like when I grew up, like the town that I grew up in, like in high school, like guys would like they would be absent from school on the first day of hunting season. <laughs> like that's like a thing where like that's a normal thing. So I just remember thinking too, like that kind of thing. Like, yes, gunshots aren't normal at school, but like when you hear them so frequently, like for somebody who's not used to them, that is a sound that stands out for you. 
But when it is something that you hear frequently and you hear a lot in your life, it is something that wouldn't necessarily for register right away, I guess is what I would no, say. That, ma- that makes sense. Now, wait a minute. I you have know, a question about this hunting season thing. What's the first day of hunting season? So it varies. It's different. It depends on what hunting season you're talking about. What? Because <laughs> there's bow season. There's, um, <laughs> there's bow season where you can like hunt with a bow, but you can't hunt with like a gun. Or so, and then there's, um, oh crap, what's it called? Like black, is it black powder? Um, and then there's like deer season and then there's turkey season. There's a lot. So it depends on what you're into and how you hunt. So why but can't you, the, why can't you like, hunt all year round the same things? Because it's not like these animals die part of the year, right? Right, but you don't <laughs> like so you can't hunt all year round because then you would um you wouldn't have enough you be, you would basically kill off your population. Oh, that makes sense. And okay. you don't want to kill like and I guess because you don't I mean I don't look, I don't make the rules Val. I don't know. <laughs> I just, just don't understand your up, hunting okay? thing, okay? I don't but understand. You don't want it you I mean part of it is for like, you know, like population control measures but then like you don't want to go too far in the other direction too like you can't shoot year-round because it just you would be shooting too much essentially and there are limits on what you can shoot like you can shoot so many per season and stuff like that but I yeah understand, so but, okay. but the most popular <laughs> I guess I would say would be deer season and that is kind of don't quote me but I'm pretty sure deer season starts in late October early November but it's kind of different. It depends on where it falls because the day is a little different every year. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's um, that's a thing. But that... that's probably my only other memory from that time period is kind of like vaguely thinking that like I don't know if it would like register right away with me what was happening right. in that yeah. moment. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I forgot one, what you're talking you about. <laughs> like, you do – you do think, especially as a 15-year-old, that, like, this kind of shit isn't – oh, sorry. This kind of stuff isn't ever really going to happen We cuss to you. all the time to do this. Apologize for saying shit. I did. <laughs> I, I did. And Jasmine drops the F-bomb like it's going out of style. I know. <laughs> it's funny. You can apologize because your parents are going to listen to this. So. I, that is true. I do need to apologize because my parents are going to listen to it. And my mom does not like cursing. So I can I'm cut sorry, that out. Mom. <laughs> Don't, don't, don't bleep it out because that, but my mom doesn't like cursing, but yes. Sorry, mom. Um, so, um, but yeah, so I just remember thinking that one, cause you don't think it's ever going to happen to you. And two, that I wouldn't quite register maybe right away that that was what was going on, you know, but also that I needed to get my bob and weave down. <laughs> So. <laughs> so have you perfected your bob and weave since then? I'd like to think that I'd perfect, protect, you know, perfected my bob and weave, but I don't really know. Hmm. You know, my sister would tell you yes, because I do tend to walk at an angle <laughs> if I'm with someone. So I don't know. <laughs> Just drilled Maybe that it's right left there. over from this time. Who knows? That's funny. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. So on October 8th in Baltimore, Maryland, a police officer approached a blue Chevy Caprice. It was parked just off the highway with a man sleeping inside. The man had a Washington license and a New Jersey plate. Sound familiar? Yes. 
So they noted that the plate had been run in several areas in previous days. Remember I told you their plates got run three times? Yeah. Also about that, like, if you're, I'm pretty sure if you're a cop and you're suspicious of somebody, can't you make up an excuse to pull them the fuck over and check them out? You, legitly? I mean, I suppose, but like, why, if there's nothing on their plate, like, why waste your time? Eh, you're right. So, here's the problem. So, they're, they're looking at this car and they're like, this is really weird. He has an out-of-state license, an out-of-state plate, and he's been, like, his, his tags have been run a couple times. But they were looking for a white box fan. So they did uh, not extensively question the man or search the vehicle. So on October 9th in Manassas, Virginia, 53-year-old Dean Harold Myers was pumping gas at 8.18 p.m. when he was shot dead. So at this point, John is starting to get cocky because he's been pulled over. <laughs> it will not technically pulled over. He's been approached by police with nothing. And so he decides he wants to start taunting them. So by John's instruction, Lee told police to look into the Alabama shooting in November. And by November, I mean September, because I'm lying. I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> um, the Alabama shooting in September. Sorry about that. Um... Because remember, that's where there had been a fingerprint left behind at the crime scene. They obviously didn't know about that. Um, the fingerprint matched a boy named Lee Malvo, who gave his fingerprints to a school in Washington State that he had briefly been enrolled in. So, oh. yep. So on October 11th, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, 53-year-old Kenneth Bridges was pumping gas at 9.30 a.m., and he was shot dead. On October 14th, in Fairfax, Virginia, 47-year-old Linda Franklin was shot dead in a Home Depot parking lot at 9.15. She was an FBI analyst, so police decided to release information on the gun that was used. A witness, Matthew Dowdy, presented a good lead to police, but it was a lie. Why do people do that? I don't know. Like, if you don't fucking know what's going on, shut the fuck up. <laughs> right. Right. And especially because, well, and of course, the people who, you know, gave the lead about the white box fan legitimately thought that that was a good lead. But like people right. like this, you're just taking, you're making, you're, you're literally impeding an investigation of an active killer. Right. And then like, the other thing is like the people that lie to get the, um, like reward any kind money. of reward money. Mm -hmm. Fuck you. I know. You're just as terrible. You, you might not be like on the same level as terrible as the person that did X, Y, and Z to the person that they're offering reward money for, but you're a shithole. You're a douchebag. I agree. Well, Matthew Dowdy was later convicted for interfering with the ongoing investigation. Because that is illegal, guys. Don't do it. <laughs> and because I just mentioned this Home Depot, I actually want to give you our last interview for the episode. So our friend Stephanie was sweet enough to agree to talk to us also. Um, she lived in the area as well. Stephanie, where exactly did you live? Um, I lived in Falls Church, Virginia, which okay. in relation to the uh, sniper story, um, I actually lived maybe about 10 minutes from where the Home Depot shooting happened in Seven Corners. Okay, so you were right over in that side. How old were you? 
Um, 2002, I was 18. <laughs> Sorry to put you through that <laughs> memory no, trip. I like trying to think about that, but yeah, I was 18 in 2002. Okay, so you were a grown-ass adult. Okay, so... <laughs> a full adult. <laughs> a full adult. Um, right. I was only, like, 10 when this happened. So, like, for right. me, like, this... And, well, and, of course, it wasn't in my area. Um, so, also, just, like, my memory of it, you know, doesn't really exist. So, this is very interesting that you were old enough to, you know, have... Like, you know, a lot of real memories. So um, you were 18 living there. So how did you feel? Like, well, did you know anybody who was directly affected by this? No. Um, but I was actually thinking about it. And I was thinking how it was kind of weird because obviously it's a little, like a little over a year after 9-11 had happened. Right. And D.C. did have to go through that with the Pentagon and the threats of the subway system and state department stuff getting hit. And I remember that obviously too. And then like this just kind of, I think crept up on people because I think people at that time were still having the idea that we were going to come together as people and really start working together and start putting differences aside. And, you know, I think out of nowhere, these things started happening and it, you know, they obviously were very good at hiding and right. were snipers, so they, they weren't obviously right there. And so it's like, I remember times where, like, people seemed really scared, and other times, like, it would seem like one day people would be scared and, you know, everyone would be talking about it. And then the next day, people would be like, I'm not scared. It's not going to happen to me. Like, you know, this is the D.C. area where crime and stuff happens. So I think... It was just interesting to see, like, the different, as I said, like, sometimes people, I don't want to say didn't care, but I think definitely had the idea that it would not happen to them. So they weren't as worried. And then there are times where people, I think, were obviously very scared. And I think, as I said, it kind of, like, crushed that dream a little bit that people were going to start getting together and working together and, you know, stop, I guess, killing and hurting each other all the time over yeah. differences and stuff, so... Yeah, definitely. Now, do you, did you at the time from your memory think that this was a terrorist related attack? Because it was I so didn't. soon? Okay. I think as I'm trying to like kind of remember, um, cause, you know, my, my dad especially was always very involved in just the news and pot. Like my dad was really just involved in anything. He liked community. He liked, you know, learning. He liked the news, all that stuff. And so I think I remember him talking about it or, you know, and again, he was kind of like, I'm sure he was nervous and afraid for his children and for himself, but he would never say that. And I think I do remember him saying at one point that he didn't think it was like terrorism, just, you know, people like, I think he thought it was more like a mental health thing. Right. You know, cause mental health, even back then, and still now, like, isn't very well treated for people, so. Right, it's very neglected. Yeah. Um, do you remember yourself being scared in any way or taking any kind of precautions? Um, well, I think we talked about this briefly, obviously, before this, but the day of the Home Depot shooting, my dad and I had actually just been over there probably maybe an hour or two prior to that. Mm -hmm. So I think that was, like, the only time I remember kind of really being scared is that we were... I think still running errands and just driving through that area. Right. Um, you know, we went th to that area a lot because 
um, seven corners. That area has, had kept changing, but I had kind of grown up going to these places over there. And as I said, we still shopped over there. And my dad sometimes would take the Metro and get dropped off there. And, and so it definitely, as I said, but being in that area right before it happened was kind of scary. And there's the information that people were saying, oh, it was like a work van now and not that sedan. And, you know, a lot of people in the Northern Virginia, Maryland area <laughs> drove a white or cream looking work van. So you started to get to a point where you would see any kind of van like that. And you would, at least for me, there always be that creeping thought, like, is this honestly just someone in a work van, like going to work, or is this going to be a situation where something bad is going to happen? Right. I feel like even outside of the sniper case, like watch out for those vans. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you, those vans, unfortunately, have like the worst, you know, connotations. It's like you're going to get kidnapped raped or murdered if exactly. you go near these vans. I mean, they don't have, like, any windows in the back, and there's a giant no. open space. They're, like, the perfect kidnapping device. Right. So, <laughs> I think that's... Yeah, I wonder if that's actually a big thing in other countries. I hadn't really thought about that before. Um, right. But now that you bring that up, I wonder if people are like, what are these vans that they're talking about? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, what is this? Yeah, no, that's definitely... I mean, and of course, you know, that was false information which you know they didn't know at the time but right. like that's just you know that would have been i understand that completely that makes perfect sense um yeah do you like so you were 18 were you still in school in high school i think it was actually to no you probably should have graduated yeah i think at that point i had yeah because i graduated so yeah at that point i graduated I guess the other thing too is like, sorry, cause I was talking about mental health earlier and you know, this might be like too much information, but I actually went to a school for people that had mental health issues. And that's so I think in a way that's the reason why, like to an extent, I wasn't scared that much because a part of me was like, well, this is a, if this is a mental health thing, like, again, I don't, you know, I wasn't one of those people that thought it couldn't happen to me, but it, you know, I went to a school with people who had a lot of mental health issues and who threatened this stuff all the time. So I think I, I probably live in a little bit of a naive state too, though, thinking like, okay, well, everything's going to be okay. It's fine. I think as I was, was more worried about um, my, like something happening to my dad or whatever in, in DC. Right. That, you know, I didn't realize that they had schools like that. That's really interesting. Just side note. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yes, um, I don't really have schools like that, obviously, in North Carolina, but in, right. where, I, where I was, North Virginia, they had a lot of schools. Or I had a school I went to for a while that was two hours of school and then four to six hours of therapy. So That's really, um, inter that's really cool. I, I yes, mean, I mean it, is, it was interesting, and I think it was actually very helpful. Maybe, right. maybe they needed a school like that for, for them or for uh, the, was it, uh, the younger one, Lee Malvo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. He, um, he, I know, he went under a lot of brainwashing and stuff like that. And it's just, it's too bad how things like that can happen. I mean, he was younger than you were. Yeah. That means that's just, yeah. it's crazy to think about. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine. Now, so I had asked Shannon, and she doesn't really remember because she was about 11 at the time. But you being 18, do you remember when they were caught like having a certain feeling of like relief or um like did you think that there might have been other people involved or like do you remember having any kind of reaction to that i think i do remember feeling like some relief 
because kind of going back to what you asked me earlier too, I think the only other time I ever got kind of scared is I, I remembered that they were targeting people feeling like their gas tanks a lot. Right. Obviously it was people in vulnerable states that would not be thinking, Hey, I need to be careful right now. Like that lady loading her items into her car after going to home Depot didn't think she was going to get shot. Like you go get, get gas. You don't think anything's going to happen. Like it wasn't like, it was ever necessarily in places or situations where you kind of think like, Oh, that kind of stuff happens there. Right. So exactly. When they finally did get caught, um, I think there's always is that like thought that like, is this really it? Like, is there more people or copycats or, you know, people who get some kind of uh, courage, I guess, from that kind of stuff, you know, right. of like, oh, well, these people did it and got away with it. And I think, you know, there's people that obviously have their, I think some people are just sick. And I think some people, as I said, have like untreated mental health issues. But so you just never know, like, is there going to be a copycat? Is this like over? But I do remember feeling like for the most part, like, as I said, I think most of them I would be more worried about my dad because my dad would take the bus or, you know, I, I don't know. Right. He my dad liked to believe settings. that people were always good or he wanted to see good in people. So he would always just try to help everybody. So I think I was more worried about him all the time. So I think I do remember thinking like, okay, well, like he should be safe now and I can go get gas and not worried about, not be worried right. about something happening to me. So Right. I guess I do remember that kind of like you just said, like a little bit of like a sense of relief, but like as you know, still thinking like people like copy, you know, like to do the copycats and stuff like that. So like, is this is this it or is it just it for right now? Right. Exactly. I know, especially with it having been so close to nine eleven, like it, yeah. it could have been part of something bigger. You know what right. I mean? So definitely, um, that makes total sense. Um, do you have any other specific memories that you'd like to share? Not really. As I said, I think earlier when I was just like thinking about us talking about this, it did kind of like really dawn on me like, oh, like this really, because, you know, as I said, I haven't thought about it in a long time, um, mm -hmm. the case and stuff like that. So, so I think when I started like really thinking about it and thinking about my memories from it, as I said, it just did kind of dawn on me that it was so close to 9-11. And I think that, as I said, that was another thing that kind of like, shook people a little bit because right. it really was just like we had just gone through something horrible and I think people were really starting to have that hope again and um you know as I said DC obviously wasn't hit to the extent of New York but it still you know still happened there and so as I said I think it was just an overall thing where it's just like people I think it almost started to feel comfortable in their way of life again and feeling like things were being built back up and everything was, you know, getting back to some kind of normalcy and then just to have that happen. And, right. you know, it's not like they did it just like one after another. It's like they would wait sometimes. and Right. And they attacked you know. a kid and they, they went after anybody. I mean, that's yeah. just, that's what's horrifying too, is you're like, okay. Um, like I know with like um, Ted Bundy, for example, which is not at all the same, but like he went after <laughs> brunettes. So people are like, okay, well, let me change my hair color. It's nothing like that. You know, yeah. when people are just randomly attacking people or, you know, when 9-11, we're like, oh, we're just going to destroy an entire building. Like, right. you know, having that sense of, you know, you're just trying to live your day-to-day -day life and you might get attacked just because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, which is something right. that, like, I never really consider. Like, I feel like I like I would need to be a target to be for something like that to happen to me. And that's a very naive yeah. perspective. But it is true. It's like it had nothing to do with your race, your age, what sex you were, like, they just wanted to get rid of people, you know, know. and it's just like, oh, so like you said, like, 
that is almost scarier because you're like, this really doesn't matter who I am. It just matters if I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. Exactly. Very terrifying. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you talking to me. So on October 19th in Ashland, Virginia, which is 145 kilometers or 90 miles south of D.C., 37-year-old Jeffrey Hopper was shot at 8 p.m. in a restaurant parking lot. His wife and bystanders got Jeffrey help, and he survived. At the scene, police found a four-page letter that threatened children unless they put $10 million into a specific account number. And it was the account of the card from the bus driver. Remember that card they stole earlier? Yes. So they gave that account number for them to put it into because they had access to it without it being linked to them. (laughs) Which is actually pretty clever. I mean, I will say. I mean, they would have gotten caught, but it's just kind of clever. On October 21st, police thought they caught their perpetrators in Richmond, Virginia. Two men in a white box van were arrested. And obviously it wasn't them. So on October 22nd at 5.56 a.m. in Aspen Hill, Maryland, 35-year-old Conrad Johnson was boarding the bus that he drove when he was shot dead. 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 Excuse me. Mm. Can't talk. (laughs) I thought you were just emphasizing dead. You're like dead. Dead. No. (laughs) No, I just like, I couldn't say it correctly. So... (laughs) Yeah, so he was boarding the bus that he was going to be driving for the day. Isn't that terrible? You never think that something like that is going to happen. Like, it's such a normal part of your day. Well, there, there was another letter. And part of it was released, and it read, quote, Your children are not safe anywhere at any time. So, meanwhile, police were searching in Tacoma, Washington, where they knew Lee had been. Because remember, his fingerprint was at that scene, and they know who he is, and they know that he had registered at a school in Tacoma. So they're there, and it was there that John's old war buddy, Robert Holmes, would implicate him. Remember, Robert Holmes is the one who he had asked about a silencer. So he led police to a tree stump that the men had used as target practice because he knew that the men had that gun. And at this point, after the FBI analyst had been shot, um, Miss Linda, they released the gun information. So to Robert Holmes, he was like, oh, shit, (laughs) is what I imagine his reaction to be at this point. Um, So when they looked into John, they discovered that his family and ex-wife had a restraining order against him and were living in Clinton, Maryland. And they found a car registered to his name, a blue Chevy Caprice. So, on October 23rd, police publicly released their suspects and their car and their license plate. At 11.45 p.m., Whitney Donahue saw the car parked off the highway in Maryland at a rest stop, and she called the police. Wayne Smith of the Maryland State Police arrived first in an unmarked car and parked between two, like, tractor trailers Mm -hmm. blocking the exit. So police continued to block off the rest area, including including exit ramps. And so a SWAT team approached the car where the men were sleeping. And in the car, they found a lot of shit. 
Um, they found the Bushmaster XM15 22 caliber rifle, including a scope and a tripod. They found Paul LaRufa's stolen laptop. Remember, that was the pizzeria owner. They found the car's manual that had impressions from writing a note left at one of the crime scenes. They found a bunch of marked maps. They found uh, this. Okay. This is going to be a little hard to um, talk about, so I'm actually going to be posting a picture of this online. But it was a modified back seat. So they took, they like removed the sheet metal to allow easy access into the trunk. And there was a hole in the trunk right above the license plate that was big enough for them to shoot through. I hate how smart they were because wasn't that um, back seat like just super easy to fold over? Yeah, like literally. And they could, like scoot in? Yes. And you wouldn't see anything that looks like nobody's in the car and they're in the trunk with enough room to move and they have that space where nobody would ever see. Right. And that hole was literally a tiny hole, like enough to fit like the very end of the gun. Like it was super like you would have right. never guessed it unless you were up close to it. Exactly. Yeah, I'll definitely be posting pictures of that on the Instagram because everybody needs to see a picture of this. So at 3.19 a.m. the men were arrested. The rifle was immediately linked to the attacks, and a total of 17 victims were killed. So Chief Moose participated in several public shows like Dateline and the Today Show about the attacks before the trial. So Attorney James Willett said about it, quote, I don't understand why someone who's been in law enforcement his whole life would potentially damage our case or compromise a jury pool by doing this. I was going to say, that didn't sound like a smart idea. No. <laughs> no, it wasn't. So this led to the first trials taking place in Virginia Beach in Chesapeake, which are over 100 miles or 160 kilometers from the closest attacks. They had to actually move them a couple times. Um, the closest attack to there was in Ashland, which is, okay. again, 100 miles. So, And um, it was also an outlier, and it's about 90 miles from D.C. Okay. So jurors actually viewed the Caprice. They got what? to physically go look at the car in the trunk. That would have been so cool to fucking look at. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it was determined that, quote, fear caused by shootings and the demand for $10 million constitutes a terrorist attack. Nice. Fun fact. Um, so, Lee originally confessed to being the shooter in every killing to protect John from the death penalty. Because he was a minor. He was only 17. And it would be much harder for him to get the death penalty. And he testified that this was John's plan. It was going to be like a three-phase plan. So the first phase was to kill six white people a day for 30 days in the D.C. metro area. God damn. Right. The second phase would be killing a pregnant woman with a shot to the stomach while in Baltimore. And then they would kill a cop. And at the cop's funeral, they would detonate explosives because there would be other cops at the funeral. And then phase three would be extorting $10 million and travel to Canada to, get this, recruit young boys from YNCAs and orphanages to join so that, like, to be part of their, like, clan that he could be a father figure for. And they would train them with weapons, and then they would do mass shootings all over the U.S. So basically, his plan was to make a cult 
I feel. <laughs> right. Like it started out about his wife and kids <laughs> and, and pretty quickly in turned into cult. you're just going to. Yeah. And so on November 24th of 2003, um, John was sentenced to death for the murders. On December 18th of 2003, Lee was convicted of capital murder, terrorism, and firearm use on Linda Franklin, which is the FBI analyst. He was sentenced to life without parole. On October 26th of 2004, Lee made a plea deal so that he could avoid the death penalty. On March 1st of 2005, the U.S. Supreme Court actually banned the death penalty for minors. So on May 23rd of 2006, Lee testified against John. Robert Holmes, the one who implicated him and also the one who knew about the silencer and the gun and all that, um, also testified against John, and so did Iran. The 13-year-old kid who got shot testified. Oh, wow. Yes. On November 10th of 2009, at age 48, John was sentenced to death. Well, no, he was already sentenced to death. Let me try that again. He died of lethal injection in Jarrett, Virginia. So that bastard's dead. Good. On July 25th of 2012, the Supreme Court said said that the Eighth Amendment was violated by giving minors life without parole. And the Eighth Amendment is, quote, Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. So Lee was given four life sentences without parole in Virginia and six in Maryland. So in 2020, Virginia passed a law that gives minors a chance for parole in life sentences after 20 years. But just a reminder, Lee's also convicted in Maryland. So his case for that was dropped. They're like, well, cool. Good for you. We can keep him in Maryland. (laughs) Right. Cool. Maybe you got paroled in Virginia, but we're going to extradite that ass to Maryland. Exactly. So that um, he's he's still serving a life sentence. Um, Also, he's married. Lee Melville's married. Okay. Um, Before I get on that tangent, um, real quick, I just wanted to uh, say that there's something about knowing that people like these two, I know What's-His-Face died, but um, Lee, the fact that he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life, just sitting there doing the same shit day in, day out, not seeing anybody outside of the prison walls. Just something about that is so satisfying. I agree. You know, like, and I, of course, I talked with Kelly a little bit in her interview about it. But, like, what are your thoughts about life in prison for minors? Um, That is a good question. I, I don't know. It's, I really don't know how to really answer hard. that. It's really hard. It's hard because it's situational. I feel like maybe. Okay, maybe. So... Lee was 17, right? That's correct. He was practically an adult. I feel like after a certain age, you have an, a like you should be considered an adult and you like that sentence is fine. Like maybe after the age of like 14, so maybe 15 and above. So then do we draw that line at just saying 15 is an adult? That's the thing is, like, where do you draw the line? And does it depend on the crime? And does it, you know, which is why this is such a recurring issue in the U.S. And why, you know, laws keep getting changed about it. Right. I kind of feel like, uh, 
every time I think about stuff like this, I kind of feel hypocritical within myself just because, yeah, like for me, like I kind of feel like maybe 15 is the age limit where we should like draw that line. Like if you're 15 to 17 and you commit any kind of heinous crime, like you should get the worst, the punishment you deserve. You shouldn't be cut slack, anything like that, because there are people like, um, so, so yeah, so there's that. But then I sit there and think of people like Jasmine, I forgot her last name. Richards. The one with her, like, 20-something-year-old boyfriend who killed her Yeah, Jasmine Richards. And, yeah, like, wasn't she, like, 13 or something? Oh, I don't remember. She was, she like, was 12 or 13, and now she's free. Like, like that right there, she literally showed no remorse. She laughed about it. She bragged about it. She she premeditated their murders. She shouldn't have gotten out. But then there we are with that line. She wasn't, I don't think she was older than 15. I don't even think she was 15. Right. So it's like, that's why I'm like hypocritical. But at the same time, it's like, I just, I don't know. It is, it's very hard and it is very situational. And like what I said to Kelly was basically like, I think that people can change, but I yeah. don't think that people who once didn't understand right from wrong will later understand right from wrong. Right. And I think that, um, I do, I do believe that the death penalty should not be allowed for minors. I agree with that also. But life in prison? Life, <laughs> life in prison? I'm all for that. Let's do that. Right. And, and, you know, death penalty just in general, like the older I get, the older I'm starting to be like, yeah, no, maybe it should, we shouldn't be doing that at all. Mm, I'm kind of, well, without getting too political, I'm kind of, um, again, that's a situational thing. Like John receiving the death penalty and being killed by lethal injection, I think is a perfectly appropriate thing to do. Right. And the only reason why I'm so iffy with it is just because of all of the wrongfully convicted people on death row right. currently. And it and millions of millions of people who've gotten killed who were innocent. But it's just it's, like I said, it's like a it's like you feel kind of like hypocritical when you think about it because you're like, yeah, for this person, definitely like fuck you die but then this person you're like no you shouldn't have died right no it is it is tricky which is why there's so much contention about that i know we talked a little bit about that too in um brian dugan's yeah um episode but yeah it's hard but i think john deserved it and i think yeah serving life is appropriate yeah. Um, I, I mean, also, terrorists, people who commit terrorist activities deserve oh, 100%. that. But that, here's the thing is that they consider this a terrorist activity because of their trying to extort money. Yeah, definitely. And threatening children. So um, I also want to mention a murder that neither men confess to, but is potentially linked to them. So on May 27th in Texas, which they would have been crossing through, 37-year-old Billy Jean Dillon was doing yard work when he was shot dead from a long distance and a bullet hit him in the head. But bullet ballistic tests were inconclusive. Hmm. So it's not, they haven't confessed to it. Um, My understanding is that family thinks that it's related to them and they want that closure. 
that they haven't been able to get. And I feel very sorry for them. And if it's not because of them that Billy died, we can still mourn Billy's death. Right. And it's, it would make sense. Cause like you said, they were, he was shot from long range. Right. With a he single was, bullet. Right. He was in Texas where they would have passed multiple times because right. on their way from Arizona to Florida, they passed Texas. Even when they got to Louisiana, they're, right beside texas right so they could have made a pit stop and then went all the way back to virginia so there was ample opportunities but it's so weird that they wouldn't claim him i agree and it also part of it that i was thinking is like maybe they don't remember and that's probably stupid i'm sure that they remember everybody Mm -hmm. but like I don't know. And it might have also just been that, you know, like, John was trying to avoid the death penalty that maybe he's like, I'm not confessing to more than you can prove. (laughs) Right. But then if Lee was trying to take all of that, why wouldn't he just confess to that one? I don't know. It's so crazy. Um, I mean, he fit the MO in the sense that he was just minding his own damn business. Right. So, yeah, there's also that. Um, but that is the case of the DC sniper. It was a lot more intricate than I was anticipating. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. I'm, uh, my anxiety is high. Like, um, (laughs) I never knew how intense this shit was. And now I know. This shit is fucking crazy. Now everybody knows. I hope you all enjoyed that, um, deep dive into... The DC sniper attacks. Yeah, I mean, it's yes. it's pretty um, fucking nuts. Real quick, I know I didn't talk a lot during this episode, and you're welcome, everybody. But <laughs> I needed to get on this other tangent about Lee having a girlfriend or a wife while he's in prison. Who the fuck would do that? So I literally don't understand. And this is part of this is just straight ignorance because I've never been in prison. so top secret never been in prison um i don't understand how communication works when you're in prison with people that you do not know (laughs) i was even saying is conjugal visits still a thing like i feel like that's only in movies i thought i don't know i really don't know and like i don't understand how you i mean to me i thought kind of the idea of being a prisoner is that you like you don't have rights to get married and things like that like those kind of things but people do all the time and I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, well, again, where's that line drawn? It's like, okay, what are, like, what are your rights? I don't know. Like, it's so weird. So, like, I've never been in prison or in jail, but I do know people who have been in prison. And they, you know, were able to communicate, obviously, with people on the outside via like they get emails they get um of course their phone calls they of course can write letters x y and z like they can have visitors and i don't know but my issue is you bitches that want to (laughs) go and write these obscene love letters to these men who are garbage Oh, yeah, like Chris Watts right now. First of all, I'm so sick. I feel so bad for his family, but I'm also so sick of hearing about him. So, like, I had listened to, so, you know, I love Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil is my fucking ride or die. I don't care what nobody (laughs) says. I love this man. 
he is amazing to me. Nobody can tell me different. Okay, okay. So <laughs> he had a pod. He has a podcast, and well, he has like two. But the one that I listened to, he was doing like um seasons on different um crime, true crime events, basically. One of them that he did was about Chris Watts and the murders. And he went in and interviewed Chris Watts. And at the end, he was saying that there was still, like, there was still an ample amount of women who would reach out to him because Chris Watts literally told him that. Right. Like, I read an, I read an article about it recently, how he was talking about, which... Uh, uh, why is anybody interviewing him still? But right, this like, man literally killed his wife, his pregnant wife, and his and children, his, his small children. ass children. What I know, and it's like uh, I just don't understand why people are even. Why is he allowed to have communication <laughs> with the outside world? That's- like, I get that you get lonely, like, the women out here in the real world. Like, I get you get lonely and the, and you want some company and but you want someone to talk kids. to. But not a fucking psychopath and a murderer. What the hell? I don't care what on earth you feel. Like, what on earth are these people saying to him? Dear God, if you ever think that you want to write to a, a man who killed his wife and kids... Or a serial killer, please do what I've suggested in the past and write that shit down and fucking set it ablaze and burn a marshmallow over it. Do right. not send those letters. What the no actual matter, fuck? No matter how cute he may be, no matter how attractive they are, it doesn't fucking matter. The point of the matter is he killed his entire family and he's a garbage human being. Why would you ever want to communicate with anybody like that? Right. He was also cheating on his wife. So, like, I don't even know. You can't even, like, play me the, oh, well, his wife wronged him and da-da-da-da. It's like, no. I mean, he was literally the biggest piece of shit you could be. Don't even get me started on his trifling ass. I know. And I'm also so sick of people bringing up the, I'm not even going to say her, I know her name, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah. About bringing up the woman that he was having an affair with. She has not been accused of anything or of having any role in this. Leave her the fuck out of it. I guarantee you she wants nothing to do with his murdering ass. (laughs) Like, leave her the fuck alone. I'm so sick of reading shit about it. I cannot wait until his shit dies down. If you want to talk about something regarding him, talk about the precious life of his beautiful wife and children. This is true. Stop talking about him. Yeah. He's Mm. awful. He's god awful. And uh, whoever is married to Lee, uh, mm -mm -mm. he He might as well be married to like Saddam Hussein or something. I mean, it just sucks because, like, he was so young and he was clearly brainwashed and he clearly was troubled. Yeah. And it it sucks. And I'm happy that he didn't receive the death penalty. But, like, I also just don't understand what happened there with them getting married in jail. But also, I'm going to put a picture of him online. He looks like the nicest fucking dude. It, like, it bothers me how little sense I have. Of how a person is based on how they look. Like, seriously. And he might be a super nice dude. I mean, you can be nice and also murder a bunch of people. 
But, I just don't want you to have any happiness in life after you take happiness away from people. I mean, you destroyed so many families and you terrified the shit out of hundreds of thousands of people. Like, I'm sorry, I don't think you should be able to get married. Excuse yeah. the shit out of me for saying that you do not deserve that right. <laughs> I don't think you should have any joy in life at this point. I hope that any joy that you have while you're in prison, like a guard comes and steps on it and squashes it in front of you. And that's a good ending to this. <laughs> <laughs> so let us know what you guys think. Um, if you were also living in the DC metro area at this time and you have a different insight, please let us know. We would love to hear it. Um, tell us, you know, where you lived, what your age was, and what your role was in it. Like, how did you know anybody affected, or how was your school affected, or how was your job affected, or any of those things. We would love to hear it, and we would love to share it with all of our listeners. So please let us know if this was connected to you in any way. Definitely. You know, reach out to us on the Facebook at Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. On the Twitter at Crafts and Crime, Instagram, Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. And uh, send us a Gmail if you guys want to at uh, Crafts, Drafts, and Crime at gmail.com. Yeah, do it. Do all those things. Yeah, definitely. We're looking forward to it. I love reading stories, so let me know. I do too. Thank you so much for everybody who's reached out to us. You guys are amazing. Definitely. We uh, couldn't do this without you guys. Yeah. We're really, we're really enjoying it. I mean, even honestly, even if we lost all of our listeners, I would still want to do this. I enjoy it. Definitely. Like we, when we started it, we weren't expecting to do this well, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) We were kind of just bullshitting and wanting to do it for our friends because we thought we were funny. And now we have people who think we're funny and it makes it even better. (laughs) And you're all wrong, suckers. (laughs) If you guys do enjoy listening to the podcast... Please, please rate us on and give us a review on whatever thing. The review can literally be two words. It just having reviews helps us get distributed. Ratings are great. Reviews are even better. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, you know, two word reviews, you suck or you rock. (laughs) Don't tell us we suck. Keep that shit to yourself. Nobody wants to hear that. (laughs) No, but it's okay. I mean, your opinion is your opinion. But, I mean, even if you give us a negative review, like, it's going to help distribute us. So, please review us. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time. Bye. Bye.